You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. Awesome. Good morning, Radiant Church. Good to see you all this morning. If you're new with us, thank you for making Radiant a part of your weekend. You are our honored guest. My name is Marco Salazar. I'm the lead pastor here. And again, thank you for making Radiant a part of your weekend. Well, listen, today we are back in our series in the book of Acts. This is, believe it or not, this is part number 18, you guys. Part 18 in the series that we've entitled The Spirit-Empowered Church. Now, if you're new to church, new to the faith, the Christian faith, I know there may be a few of you who are new to the faith here. Listen, um, let me give you some context. The book of Acts is found in the New Testament of the Bible, and essentially it is the story and the life of the early church. So if you've ever wondered what is church all about, where are or what are the origins of the church, we'll look no further than the book of Acts. And what you'll discover is that the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news that he was raised from the dead and that he is King and Messiah, listen, that news is spreading rapidly. And more and more people are becoming followers of Jesus Christ. Now, today we're in Acts 15, but I want to I want to recap Acts 14 very quickly for you, if you are new. In Acts 14, I introduced you to uh, two people, Paul and Barnabas. Now, Paul and Barnabas are basically leaders of the church. You can kind of think of them as pastors and missionaries. And the focus of Acts used to be Peter and Jerusalem. But now the focus has shifted now to Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas are in a church in a city called Antioch. Now, Antioch is located in Syria, just in case you're trying to figure out where that's at. Now, Paul and Barnabas set out on a journey to spread the gospel news to non-Jewish people. The Bible calls them Gentiles. So they uh, sail on a ship to the island of Cyprus. Once they're there, they go up towards modern-day Turkey, and they hit several cities there, like Lystra, I think it's Derby, Iconium. Eventually, they make their way all the way back to Antioch, and that's one complete journey. It's an incredible, incredible uh, journey. It's this, really, it's a missionary journey. Journey. They're spreading the good news of Jesus. Now, today, I want to pick things up at the end of chapter 14, because this gives us a bit more context as we look to chapter 15. So if you have a Bible, I want us to pick it up. Acts chapter 14, we're going to begin in verse 26. And if you don't have a Bible, I want you to look at the screen. We're going to, you can follow along there. It says this, from Italia, which is a city, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had been, that had now been completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there for a long time with the disciples. Okay, so Paul and Barnabas, they head back home to Antioch, the church there, and they're, having, they're filling in the church of everything that happened. Can you imagine being in that meeting, that meeting, hearing the stories of Paul and Barnabas, hearing how they risked their lives, hearing how they literally faced demonic opposition, and yet, 
The good news of the gospel kept going forth and the word of God kept spreading. That would have been amazing, you guys. And so we're going to look today at Acts chapter 15. Now, a bit of a warning for you today in Acts chapter 15, about 90% of my message is going to be about sex, okay? So just so you know, I'm going to be very honest. We're going to look at scripture, what scripture talks about sex. And I want to just be forward with you guys and say that some of the information and content today will be slightly controversial. It'll be slightly controversial. Now, here's what I want to say to you as your pastor. I said this first service. I want to say this as your pastor, that in the middle of the service, you might be angry. You might be angry with me. You might be angry with the message, and you might, you might want to leave. Be, you might want to just take off through those double doors. And I would highly, highly encourage you that you not do that. Okay? Here, listen to my heart. Here's my heart today. Instead of, listen, getting angry because this is not what you agree with or however you feel about these issues, I want you, I challenge you to listen to the entire message and consider the biblical ethic of sex versus the ethic that maybe you carry that probably comes from the world, okay? Now, those, those might be very different, but I want you to consider it and then take that to the Lord yourself and you can make the choice from there, okay? I want you to consider it, though. Don't bolt off and leave during the middle of service, okay? But listen, open your heart to what the Lord wants to say to you this morning. I think it's going to be good, and I'm super pumped. <laughs> it's going to be awesome, you guys. It's going to be incredible. So let's pray because we need the Holy Spirit here because we're going to go deep, and it's going to get touchy. Lord, we love you, and we worship you today, God. And God, I am so amped. I am so excited, God, because I get to bring a biblical theology of sex, Lord. And Lord, we get to bring truth. I get to bring truth to an area where there's so much darkness right now. Lord, I'm praying, I'm expecting that you're going to set captives free today, Lord. Lord, I am praying by, by your Holy Spirit that, God, you would blind or you would open up blind eyes. You would unlock deaf ears, Lord, and you would soften hardened hearts. Because I know, Lord, that some of my friends have walked in here today with a hardened heart. Father, I pray that by your spirit, you would soften it and cause them to see the beauty, the glory, and the truth that is found in the word of God, by the spirit of God that talks about Jesus Christ. So today, God, I am here with expectation and anticipation of what you're going to do. Lord, have your way. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Awesome. Well, let me give you some context to set up Acts 15 because we don't have a lot of time to, to, to do all of Acts 15, but I'll give you a summary. The year is AD 48 or AD 49. There's a bit of dispute between scholars as far as what exact time it was. And there is a, there is a conference that is about to take place in the city of Jerusalem. Now, just a few weeks ago, uh, me and uh, the staff here of Radiant Church, our leaders, we went to a church conference about three weeks ago, and it was incredible. We were uh, built up. We were edified. Uh, we were encouraged. It was amazing. But today, I want to tell you about the very, very first church conference that ever took place, you guys. It took place in Jerusalem. And here's the reason why it took place. In Jerusalem at the time, there was a group of Jewish people. They belonged to the to the group called the Pharisees, okay? They're religious rulers. Now, these Pharisees were teaching other believers that in order to be saved, listen to me, in order for Gentiles 
to be saved, non-Jewish people, they first had to be what? Circumcised. Circumcised. Now, on top of that, they were also teaching that these believers, these Gentile believers, needed to follow the Mosaic law. And the funny thing about that is that if you just look at the pages of the Old Testament, come on. <laughs> the Jews were not even good at following the law, right? But they wanted those Gentiles to follow the law. Now, Paul and Barnabas have a serious issue with this. They do not agree. So they are pretty upset. And so what happens is they go to Jerusalem and they're going to meet with the other leaders there. You know, some of the other pastors and, and the elders of the church. And they're going to discuss a solution for this problem. Well, in the middle of that meeting, Peter pipes up because Peter's brave. Peter is, um, you know, he's fearless. He's going to speak his mind. And Peter chimes up and he says, hey, 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 everybody listen to me. I want you to pay attention. You guys know, you guys know that God wanted the Gentiles to be saved. You know that he wanted to draw near to them. Listen, listen, God does not discriminate, he says to them. Listen, I know that God accepts Gentiles because God gave them the Holy Spirit. He gives them the Holy Spirit, and I saw it with my own two eyes. So Paul, or Peter says then, he says, I believe that we're, we're saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Peter is saying, we're not saved by following the law, and we're not saved by circumcision. Now, James jumps in the conversation. Now, James is the half-brother of Jesus. Remember James, who was the brother of John? He was beheaded, so he's dead now. But James, the brother of Jesus, pipes in, and he says, you know what? I'm with Peter. I'm with Peter. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And then the council has an agreement, and they come up with four sort of rules or four restrictions that they want the Gentile believers to abide by in order to be saved. And I want to read you, I want us to read together, rather, the section of Scripture in Acts chapter 15. Acts 15, I want you to go to verse 22. And we're going to go all the way to verse number 31, so I want you to bear with me. Here's what it says. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called uh, Barsabas, and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. With them, they sent the following letter. This letter is the conclusions, the, the, the solution that they've come up with, okay? The, apostle, the apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Here's the letter. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. Now, here are those four requirements, okay? Number one, you are to abstain from food sacrifice to idols. Number two, refrain from blood. Number three, from the meat of strangled animals. And number four, sexual immorality. We'll spend most of our time talking about number four. 
You will do well to avoid these things. So the men were sent off and went to Antioch. Now check this out. This is important, church. Where they gathered the church together and they delivered the letter. So a church, a church was about 30 or 40 people in those days. And they would deliver the letter. And guess what? The letter would be read out loud publicly. Verse 31 says this. This is important. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. I want to just, just camp out on 31 for a moment. It's interesting, isn't it, that the people didn't read the letter. They weren't offended. Mm -mm. They didn't, you know, say, no, it's not what we believe about sex. No, no. Mm -mm. They're like, oh, man, we're, that's a good message. They were glad. They were encouraged. And today, I think that's going to happen with many of you. Sure, some of you might be a little bit offended. But I think many more of you will be glad and very, very encouraged. So James... Okay, not to mention, not to mention that the Gentile man probably breathed a great sigh of relief, right? Whew, right? No circumcision, right? Some of you are like, huh? All right, some of you caught on to that. James has four restrictions. Here they are. Number one, I'll go through these quickly. The first, the first three quickly because they're confusing for us because we don't live in this culture, right? Food offered to idols. Okay, let me just summarize quickly. The Jewish people wanted to avoid anything that had to do with idolatry. Right? So they're like, okay, eh, stay away from that. Number two, meat of a strangled animal. Okay, here's why. A strangled animal refers to an animal that's been slaughtered in a manner that left the blood in it. Now, for Jewish people under the Mosaic law, blood was a no-no. It was, it was considered unclean, okay? And then number three, which obviously makes sense, right? Blood, it goes with the whole uh, meat of a, of a strangled animal, blood. Blood was sacred, right? Leviticus said that life was in the blood, right? Blood was sacred, and meat had to be drained of the blood before the Jewish people could consume it. Let me make this clear with the first three, okay? These were not rules that the Gentiles must follow in order to be saved. Rather, here's what they were for, especially these first three. They were rules to build harmony between Jewish and Gentile belief. Does that make sense? I hope it does. There were rules to build a harmony between the Jewish people who were becoming Christians and the Gentile believers who were never Jewish, okay? But they knew it stemmed from Judaism. There was, God wanted to build harmony between those two types of people, okay? Those first three restrictions are more ritualistic when it comes to the law for the way that the Jewish people would have worshiped God. Now, the fourth is a different category. The fourth is a moral category, and that's sexual immorality, right? Sexual immorality is a moral category. Remember, the council says you must abstain from sexual immorality. Now, if we're gonna talk about sexual immorality, we should probably define it, right? Let's define what sexual immorality is, okay? What is sexual immorality? Well, the phrase that we translate sexual immorality is actually the Greek word pornea. You can put that word up there, pornea. You might recognize that word because it's where we get the word pornography, porn, right? Now, pornea is this word that the Greeks used to um, really encompass all of, uh, it's a catch-all, junk drawer term for all of sexual conduct, listen to this, 
outside, listen closely, adults, outside the covenant of marriage. Outside the covenant of marriage. It would include, and here's what it includes, sex before marriage, adultery. Jesus talked explicitly about this, adultery. Prostitution. And even same-sex sexual behavior. All of these in the scripture are considered sin. That's what pornea is, all of those things that I just listed for you. The Bible teaches repeatedly that sexual intimacy is only appropriate for the confines, for the covenant of marriage. I want to get into that. Don't worry, we're going to get into all of this. Marriage is meant to be, listen to this, marriage is meant to be the means by which we what? We promised to give ourselves to someone else fully and exclusively. That's what marriage is, okay? That's what marriage is, okay? In marriage, we vow whole life commitment to the other, and sex is both, listen, an expression of that and the means of that. All right? One author, I'm going to get more into this, so don't worry, because some of you are still like, well, what's the big deal? I'll answer those questions. One author calls sex a holy fire. A holy fire. Anybody like a good campfire in Michigan during the summertime? Raise your hand if you do. Come on, someone, right? Preaching in the church. I love a good campfire in Michigan. Roasting marshmallows, melt them, throw them between some graham crackers, Hershey bar, boom, s'mores. We're good to go, right? Everyone says amen to that, amen, right? Fire is good because why? Because it brings light, some heat, maybe even at night, it brings life. In that fire pit, confined to that fire pit, the fire is really good. But think about a fire outside of that fire pit. What happens? It's a very different story, isn't it? That fire becomes dangerous. The fire has the potential to harm people. The fire has the potential to what? To burn an entire neighborhood to the ground. This is why the Bible insists on sex only being for the setting of marriage. There, in marriage, sex is a beautiful gift from God. And all the married people said? Amen. Amen, right. Beautiful gift from God. Outside of that, it's incredibly harmful, and it can be very, very destructive. Okay? You're probably wondering, okay, well, come on, Pastor Marco, how is sex outside of marriage destructive? I mean, really? I don't know if I believe that. Well, before we can answer that question, to further understand this entire concept, We have to go to the pages of Scripture, and you know what we need to do? We need to define marriage. If we're going to talk about marriage, we should define it. We should. What does the Scripture say about marriage? After all, it was God's idea, if you haven't figured that out, right? It was God's idea. What I want to do is this, okay? I I want us to start with Jesus. Because sometimes people say, well, Jesus never talked about marriage. He never talked about um, same-sex, you know, marriages. He never talked about, you know, well, that's, no, that's not true, okay? I want us to talk about Matthew. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. And these are the words of Jesus. And notice what he does. We'll talk about them. Here's what he says. Jesus says, haven't you read? In other words, listen, you guys know the Old Testament. He's talking to Jewish people. He was responding to someone's question about divorce, okay? Now, Jesus would always refer to what? The Scripture. The Scripture was the Old Testament, the Torah. 
So he says this, haven't you read? Haven't you read in the Torah? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. That's really important, by the way. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is so much rich theology. Pay attention to dogs. So they no longer, they are no longer two, but they're one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Right? Here's what Jesus is doing. Absolutely brilliant. Jesus is pointing to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. He's putting them together as his response. Jesus is given the opportunity to sort of redefine what the Jewish people would know of what marriage is. And Jesus says, no, 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 you've read. Let's go back to what God says. That is really good, yeah. Genesis 1 and 2, he says, right? And that there's something powerful. Listen, there's something unique. There's something really holy about the union of these two parts, okay? The divine image becoming one and expressing the fullness of God. Jesus is saying there's something beautiful and holy and unique about that, about the two sexes, the different sexes coming together. And I want you to see here, Sex differences is part of what marriage is. Sex differences is what part is is part of what marriage is. This is what the historic church has always believed, by the way. We call this Orthodox Christianity. It's only been recently in our culture that some denominations have begun to change their view on this. I want to go back to Genesis 2 now. I told you we'd start with Jesus. Let's go back now. And here's what it says. Genesis 2, through 24. Then the Lord God made a woman. This is like the early pages of Scripture, y'all. And by the way, in the first three chapters of the Bible, there is a ton of theology that you need to get right first. A ton of theology there, okay? Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man he brought her to the man. Okay, this is like the first wedding ceremony. Amazing, right? The man said, this is Adam. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. I love this because at this point in the scripture, did you know that this point in the scripture that's actually like a Hebrew poetry, I think. Some scholars say it's a song that Adam is singing. He saw Eve, and she was naked, and he was like, hallelujah, 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 right? So he was, he was pumped, right? He was pumped, right? You can laugh. It's okay to laugh during this message. <clears throat> but I want you to notice this. Leave verse 24 up. Perfect. I, I want you to notice this verse, 24. And did you notice that it doesn't say Adam will leave his father and his mother? Did you notice that? Right? Does anybody ever see that? It doesn't say, right? It doesn't say this is, for this reason, Adam will leave his father and his mother. Well, Adam doesn't have a father and mother, right? So, of course, it wouldn't say Adam. What does it say? It says man, right? It says a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. That's really, really fascinating. Why? Because this is the Bible's way of saying from this point on, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, right? Two shall become one flesh. In other words, God is saying, from this point on, this is the way marriage is. Go. 
God is defining what it looks like. Genesis 2, listen, listen is, is, is not just about Adam and Eve. It's about the meaning of marriage as a whole. Genesis 2 tells us that sex difference is not a take-it-or-leave-it option, okay? It's part of what marriage is. It's part of what marriage is by definition. Therefore, from Scripture, I want to give you a definition, okay? Therefore, from Scripture, here's what we see. This is how the Bible defines marriage. Marriage is the one flesh union between two sexually different people, man there's what it is. There, there, there it is, right? God gives us that definition, okay? And I believe it's good. I believe it's true. I believe it's beautiful. Now, I'm not here to argue with you, okay? So if you have a different definition, I'm not here to debate with you or fight with you okay? or get into a screaming match with you. That's not what I'm here for. However, I do want to ask a few questions of you. If you have a different, if you're in disagreement with me, that's okay, that's okay. Like, you, you, can, you, can, uh, you can believe what you want to believe. I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible says, okay? But if you have a different belief than I do, I have three questions for you today. Three questions that I want you to take with you. Number one, what is your definition of marriage? Number two, where did you get that definition? Number three, show me the verses in the Bible that support that view, okay? Take those with you when you leave and take it before God, okay? If you have a different perspective, which several of you made, okay? This is, this is a huge issue right now in the world, in the church, okay? What's your definition of marriage? Where did you get it from? And then show me the verses that helps you to get to that place, okay? So now that we know what marriage is according to what the Bible says, we need to answer the question, what is the purpose of sex, okay? What is the purpose of sex? Is it just to have a good time, okay? What is the purpose of sex? What is sex for, okay? Now, some atheists would try to tell you that sex is just simply about the fulfillment of a natural animal instinct that was passed down through your, you know, um, evolutionary ancestors. That sex is just about... Your hormones and it's sex is just about that animalistic appetite. I gotta have sex, right? It's just simply about those fulfilling those things. It's about hormones, appetites, right? Um, pleasure, gratification. Now, let me just say this: sex drive is important for survival, yes, but the meaning of sex is so much deeper than that. Okay, it's so much deeper than that. All right. The God of the universe, who gave us sex as a beautiful gift, by the way, he has given us three primary purposes of sex. If you're taking notes, write this down. There are three primary purposes of sex. Right? You're wondering, is it just for me to have a good time? Is it just for the orgasm? Nope, it's way more than that, okay? Number one, sex is about procreation, okay? The purpose of sex is about procreation. <laughs> this shouldn't come to any surprise to any of us, right? Sex is about making babies, okay? <laughs> All right, we know this. We're smart. We're smart people, okay? After creating humans as male and female, notice what God says in Genesis 1.28. We're going to continue to look at Genesis so much, so often here, okay? God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, right? 
and increase or multiply. This is God's, like, you know, commandment to mankind. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground, okay? So God says, be fruitful and multiply, right? Now, check this out. Even if a woman doesn't get pregnant, okay, because we know this happens, even if a woman doesn't get pregnant, I want you to check this out. Her body and a man's body unite together in a way that's oriented towards procreation. It's true. I mean, it's just biology. It's crazy, but it's true. The way they, they fit together in a way suitable for procreation. This is not possible with a same-sex uh, relationship, okay? Whether a child results or not, listen, listen, sex between a man and a woman is oriented toward the procreation of new life. The second purpose of sex that we see from the Bible is this, unity. This is important, unity. This is why it's reserved for marriage, by the way, unity. Did you know that sex is one of the most powerful bonding agents between two people? Between a male and a female. Sex is the most powerful aspect, right? It's to bond people together. When God presents um, Eve to Adam, again, it says this. Here's what Adam says, Genesis 2, 23 and 24. The man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of a man, out of man. This is why a man, and I want you to see the progression, church. This is, there's a lot of theology in one verse here. This is why a man leaves his father and mother, okay? is united to his wife. That's marriage. It's not moving in together, by the way. Okay? And they shall become one flesh. They consummate it by having sex. Okay? So there's a progression here. But notice what the scripture says at the end. The two become one flesh. This is powerful. What does that mean? That means that they're, they're united. It's a powerful bonding agent. That sex between the man and the woman is so powerful to bond them together. Some scholars call this, or some pastors say, leave and cleave, right? You, you leave your mother and your father, okay? And then you don't move in with your girlfriend or your boyfriend. Eh, wrong answer. You get married. That's what the scripture says. <laughs> and then you have sex. I'm almost that, right? That's good news right there. That's good news. Some of you are like, I don't know. <laughs> and I promise you it is. Okay? I promise you it is, Okay? Here's what I want to say. When, it's, when a couple has sex, something changes in the relationship. Can I get an amen? Anybody? Okay. They enter into deeper unity. All right. And I want, you to show, I want to show you this. This is not just physically. This is spiritually. This is emotionally. This is relationally. And this is even biochemically. It's biochemical, guys. This is one of the reasons why when young people have sex, before they're ever even married, ready to get married, when they break up, it's so devastating. It's so hard on them. It's so hard, on the, mostly on the, on the female. Men, right, just kind of like speaking with a broad brush, they can just bounce and it doesn't really matter. So often, though, it's, it's, the women, it's the women who are destroyed in this. Check this out. Scientists have discovered the neurochemical known as oxytocin. This is important. Oxytocin is the key to healthy bonding in sex, okay? The release of oxytocin generates bonding and trust with another person. 
This is especially prevalent in women. So uh, when, in, when having intercourse, women, um, this, will, this, this is what happens, right? The oxytocin is released, and it's a, it's, it's a good thing because it's supposed to be for bonding and for trust, for building long-lasting trust, lifelong trust, by the way, okay? But check this out. The same is true for men. This is wild, you guys. Even the scientific community has discovered this, right? The scientific community has discovered that the main neurochemical responsible for bonding found in men is known as vasopressin. Vasopressin. Now, it's structurally similar to oxytocin, and it has a similar emotional effect for men. Check this out. Scientists believe it stimulates bonding with a woman and with offspring. It's amazing. God's design is amazing, y'all. It has been dubbed, check this out, the monogamy Sex is a powerful force for bonding. So much so the scripture says the two become one flesh. Wow. Finally, the, the third purpose of sex is this, to foreshadow heaven, to foreshadow heaven. The apostle Paul tells us that marriage has existed since creation to point us to the mysterious union between, between Christ and the church between Christ and the church. Here's what Paul writes. Check this out. He says this, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. What is Paul doing? Paul's also referencing Genesis 1 and 2, y'all. This is crazy. Paul's not reinventing it. He's going back to what God has said in his word. That's amazing, you guys. I love this. These guys were absolutely brilliant, right? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. He says, but I'm talking about what? Christ and the church, right? Christ and the church. Did you know that marriage is, a, is supposed to be a beautiful representation for Jesus' relationship with the church? This is why in your marriage, okay, check this out. Husbands and wives, in your marriage, you have the opportunity to reenact the gospel. That means this. You have an opportunity to die to yourself and to serve your spouse. Come on, that's what real marriage is all about right there. It's not all about the hot and heavy and the sexy and the sweaty. It's about dying to yourself and serving your spouse. You'd rather be doing something else. Come on, I feel the Holy Spirit right now. Marriages are supposed to be a representation of the gospel. Jesus and his relationship to the church. I didn't say it, Paul said it. Paul said it, right? As wonderful of a gift as sex is, we have to remember that Sexual union between a husband and a wife merely foreshadows something greater, and that is the union between people and God in heaven one day. Amen. It shows something much more transcendent. That's what I want you to see about marriage. That marriage is not just, you know, just, just for here and now necessarily, but it has a transcendent meaning to it. It's not simply Christians believe Christians believe, listen, that marriage is something God instituted, not the state. Like all good gifts, sex, listen, is meant to point us to the giver of life, to the giver of life. My, uh, my newest favorite, probably, author and theologian is Sean McDowell. Um, you can follow him on YouTube. Uh, great guy. Um, Sean McDowell says this. 
He says, even the most wonderful sex life cannot satisfy the cravings of the human heart for love and connection. So let me talk to you single people for just a minute, in a minute. Single people, if you're having sex right now, listen, and you're just trying to find a connection and happiness and uh, love through sex, can I just tell you, it will never work. Right. It won't work. You know, you know why? Your heart longs to be loved, to be known, and to be accepted. Yep. Amen. And you know, the only person that can truly give that to you is Jesus. Jesus. So young people, let me just say this quickly. Teenagers, 18-year-olds, 17-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 21-year-olds, whatever, I don't care. If you're, if you're experimenting sexually, trying to find happiness, love, connection, meaning to life, you're not going to find it. Okay? I was there. I've been there. I didn't serve Jesus all my life. I've been there. You won't find it. You won't find it. Your heart is longing for a deeper connection with God. Do you see why Satan wants, do you see why Satan is so intent on twisting the nature of sex? Because listen, if Satan can confuse people about sex, he can confuse them, or if he can confuse them about sex, he can confuse them about heaven. So those things are connected. We know that God has designed sex to be, a be to be a beautiful gift in the context of marriage. Why is sex outside of marriage then considered sin? Okay, we've been talking about it. I hope you have learned something. Well, listen, we have to remember that everything contrary to God's design is sin. Everything contrary to God's design is sin. Now, I know maybe some of you who are single and you're not married and maybe you're, you're in a sexual relationship right now, you're, you're, you, you might be thinking, well, <laughs> it's it's Here's the thing, Pastor Marco, sex, not married, and sex, married, are essentially the same thing. The only difference is timing. Or it's wrong. That's wrong. That's untrue, actually. Let me, let, me, let me tell you why. Because sex in a marriage, listen, is reinforcing and expressing the vows that you made to your spouse. Right? Sex outside of a marriage, listen, adults, listen. Sex outside of a marriage is actually taking something from you. It's robbing you. If you are in a sexual relationship today, and I say this with love. This is not me being condemning. Listen up, adults. I know we got kids screaming, but listen up. If you're in a sexual relationship today, listen, and you're not married, you're being robbed, actually. Something is being taken from you. Why is that? Because he or she is not willing to give you their whole self. They're only giving you the body. They're not giving you everything. And marriage says, I'm yours completely, and fully and exclusively. You see, the problem is so many young people, whether you're 15, 16 years old today, whether you're a young 20-something, wherever you're at, so many people assume that sexual relationships can solely be physical. Just, just physical, right? Disconnected from the mind and disconnected from the emotions, right? Clear lines between the two of them. That is simply not true. Why? Because we're integrated beings. <laughs> That's why. We can't just check our emotions in the middle of intercourse. We can't just check our emotions 
right? And just say this is, I know that's what the hookup culture is sort of believing, the lie that you can, it can just be physical and not emotional. They separate those two, right? Just hooking up, an exhilarating orgasm, and then moving on to the next person, okay? But it's not true. You're an integrated person. You're an integrated person. Eventually, listen to this, the emotional baggage of multiple sexual encounters with no real connection, no real commitment, wears down the soul. And here's what it causes. It causes, and I've been there. I'm just going to say it right now. I'm going to be vulnerable. I've been there. It causes heartache. It causes pain. It causes depression. And it causes loneliness. And you can pretend like it's never going to catch up with you, but you're only pretending. Everyone else knows. You can pretend. You can pretend. The fact that this is not working for our culture should tell us something. Here's what's happening right now. Young people are trying to live out a worldview that does not match their nature. And it's tearing them apart. You see, many of us are living contrary to the design of God. And it's no wonder why it's painful. It's hard. It's difficult. Because you're living contrary to your design. You were designed for a purpose, reason, with a God who loves you, right? Nancy Piercy, in her book, Love Thy Body, she wrote this incredible book, very full of theology, brilliant uh, female uh, theologian and philosopher, she deals with all the heavy issues like homosexuality and abortion and hookup culture and all of these things, right? She writes with so much grace, though, but profound truth from the scripture. She says this, the hookup culture is unraveling the social fabric. It produces isolated, alienated adults who come together temporarily for the physiological release by repeatedly breaking up for or never connecting in the first place, many people fail to learn how to form the strong, resilient bonds needed to create what? Happy, fulfilling, long-term marriages and families. Do you see this right now in our culture? The breakdown of society. Just turn on the news. It's the absolute breakdown of the social fabric. It's It aches my heart. You see, the purpose of sex, listen, is not what we can get, but what we can give. This is a quote from Tim Keller. He wrote The Meaning of Marriage. And listen to what Tim Keller says. He says this, sex, listen, is God's appointed way, listen to this, for two people to reciprocally say to one another, I belong completely, permanently, and exclusively to you. You must not use sex to say anything else. Sex is beautiful, yes, absolutely. Of course it feels good, right? God could have designed sex to, to feel like taking out the garbage, but he didn't do that, right? Thank the Lord, right? <laughs> Thank the Lord, right? God designed it as a beautiful gift, but in the wrong context, in the wrong way becomes this Fire that destroys an entire city, and in our case, an entire culture. 
So as we close today, listen, here's what I want to say. Sexual sin is serious. Like, I'm not going to try to downplay that. Never would I even downplay that. Not at all, right? And it brings undesirable consequences. It really does. Young people, hear my heart. As someone who has lived this out myself, young people, hear me out, please. It brings undesirable consequences. I lived it out. I was not always a believer. It does bring undesirable consequences, believe it or not. But it's not the worst sin. Okay? And you can be forgiven and you can find healing in Jesus Christ. Amen. That's right, yeah. So today, if you're here and you feel like you used the goods, you feel like you're totally, like you'll never or you're incapable of experiencing God's best because of your past failures. Listen, that's a lie. That's a lie. Now is the time to turn away. Come on, man, turn away. Do you really believe you're going to be happy like with what, the way your life is going? Come on. Do you believe? I mean, come on. Sometimes we find ourselves in committed relationships and we think, well, it's, sex is fine. It's committed. But if he can walk out at any time, is it really committed? If he can walk out when you gain a few pounds, is it really committed? Really? Are you sure about that? Are you sure? Now, I know marriages are not perfect either. Absolutely. Marriage is hard work, right? But if today's message has brought you any pain from your own sexual failures, please know that God forgives, okay? When you ask him. God forgives when you ask him. First John 1, 9, he says this. I love this verse. John says, John says, okay, I'll read it. He says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us. That's what, cleanse us. You can be cleansed of your sexual sin. It's amazing. Purify us, what, from all unrighteousness. Listen, church, I want to remind you, if you're willing to confess your sin today, if you're willing to humble yourself today, listen, if you're willing to ask God for forgiveness today, you can begin to live in the freedom in Jesus Christ. That was bought for you at the, through the blood of Jesus at the cross of Calvary. You could begin to live in and through the freedom of Jesus that was won for you. He paid the price so that you wouldn't have to pay that price. That was Jesus himself. Listen, and listen, I understand that the sexual revolution has taught us that sex is the end all and the be all to our happiness. But that's, that's not true. That's simply not true. It's not true. Listen. Sex is not the be-all or end-all to our human existence. It's simply not. It's simply not. We find our wholeness, our healing in Jesus Christ. And today, listen, our Heavenly Father wants to see you transformed by the power of His grace. Amen. Will you receive that today? I hope you do. Every head bowed in this place, every eye closed. I want to pray for you. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you for this message. God, I think this message is the most life-giving message I've perhaps ever given. There's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. God, I thank you that your word is true, it's good, and it's beautiful. God, and when we abide in your word, you bless us, God. You bring about fruitfulness and flourishing in our lives. 
And so, Father, right now, if there's anyone in here who has sinned sexually, Lord, I pray that their hearts would be pricked. I pray for real conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit, God. So many times I've heard church people say, oh, that church is so judgmental. Nope, not at all. It's called the conviction of the Holy Spirit, right? And maybe you're here today, and it's conviction. It's not me judging you. It's the conviction of the Spirit saying, come back, come back. I love you. Do it my way. Do it God's way, right? And so, Father, I pray for the spirit of conviction in this place. Father, I pray for true repentance today, Lord, that men and women would turn away from their sexual encounters, their meaningless sexual experiences, God, and turn to you. Turn to you, God. And, and God, as they do, may they encounter your amazing grace, God. May they encounter your arms wide open to a God that has won and secured their salvation through the cross of Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, Spirit of God, do a work in a radiant church. May we truly be a shining light in our city, God, in every single possible way. We thank you for it. We pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Let's clap our hands for the word of God, for Jesus.